we'd like to welcome you back to our fourth and final part of our current event and weekly Bible study for August 18th, oh actually August 17th, sorry, it's 1.04 a.m. as I do this last part for, um, <clears throat> so August 17th, 2014, <clears throat> what ends up happening is I do a study and I have it all done and ready and then as I go through it, for the last time I see something that needs done, and then it turns into <clears throat> another two, three, four hours of work on the PDF, and then that puts me behind. <laughs> Seems like it always happens on Sundays. <clears throat> anyway, this is a pre-Pentecostal historical timeline, uh, which actually looks at what, going all the way back to whenever, where did we see the modern day roots of now we already talked about the Azusa Street is the modern day roots of the of the Pentecostal movement but were there manifestations before that <clears throat> like this now I'm only going to be covering a little bit of this this is about six pages I'm only going to be covering hitting the high points um, I don't have a lot of time left on the voice recorder and um, this is something you, you can kind of read yourself and kind of go through as well. I'm just going to be hitting some of the more major points in the timeline. So this starts out by saying, if you're asking what pe- what is Pentecostalism, you must start with what, with what went into it. It's prehistory. Pentecostalism itself had a history before its official founding at Azusa. Just like you had a history in which you spent some time in the womb. And those who have been taught about Azusa are as often as not taught a literally whitewashed version of what happened. I believe it is important for people to actually know where the beliefs come from and what path brought them to uh, this era. Here is a timeline with thumbnail sketches of some of what is set against the stage of the birth of today's modern Pentecostal movement. Uh, Now, this really isn't a derogatory look at this timeline. this It's not like the person writing this, I don't even know if they're against it, but I think it's a very good look at the timeline just so we can have an idea about what's going on. And the first thing they have in here is around 1400, 1400s, itinerant Dominican preacher Vincent Farrar um, preached in the Mediterranean area. His speaking and the results of it bear a strange resemblance to the modern Pentecostalism. And um, he sometimes preached about the end times, apparently even claiming that the Antichrist was alive at his time. There are reports of manifestations, including shaking and possibly glossolalia, and also reports of healings. The downside of Farrar's work is how he persecuted and tortured Jews in order to put fear of them and force conversions. So he, this was a Catholic that was doing this. And... Um, uh, then we leap forward to the 17th and 18th century. Many uh, pious who, these are people who stress upon the emotional and personal aspects of religion, which is what Pentecostal and Charismatic, it's really the, the underpinnings of it. They're stressing the emotional and personal aspects of whatever religion they're in. It's all about experience. And really, that really invariably ends up going into carnality and wow what is what is um how does my heart feel about this you know that is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked they're not going by the word of god they're going by their experience their emotions their heart and that will you know always lead you typically in the wrong direction and the bible warns about that over and over so 
they started to emphasize spiritual experience after or upon conversion. <clears throat> and let's go forward here. Then we go to, uh, and again, I'm skipping over. I'm just trying to hit some of the high points. 1825, Johann Adam Moeller, a German Catholic. Here's another Catholic. Publishes his book, Unity in the Church. Moeller held that the church is a living, organic community, a body put together and given gifts by the Holy Spirit. You know, I could see the Pope Francis with this meeting with Copeland saying, okay, you've come all full circle. You were you you went out from among us, but now you've come back to us. Here is this book, Unity in the Church. And and I'm sure Copeland would accept it and and shake hands and and, and you know be contrite over the fact that they ever left the, the Catholic mother whore. So <clears throat> anyway. They held that the church. He held that the church is a living organism, put together and given gifts by the Holy Spirit. Uh, this has consequences regarding the role of laity in the church, and thus the gifts given to those laity. Most last, the most lasting contribution was his influence on Catholic thought regarding the church as the mystical body of Christ, which would also get into the Holy Emerging Church, which is a whole other. Oh, but that is tied in with the Catholic or Charismatics as well. Uh, you jump to 1831, Edwin Irving, a Scotsman, a pastor of the Church of Scotland, Presbyterian at um, Regent Square uh, in London, England, began having parishioners who received signs that we would today be called charismatic. And um, this is when you kind of start seeing the whole charismatic thing start to kind of rear its ugly head a little bit bit here. And then we have <clears throat> William Arthur publishes The Tongue of Fire, a holiness book, holiness being the movement, which signaled the start of a shift among holiness people in a direction which would lead to Pentecostalism. There's all of these different denominations that were prevalent back then that led to different things. His prayer at the end of the book asked God to send the greatest demonstration of the Spirit's power ever. Now, you know, if you had this book and you're reading it and then you go to Azusa Street, you're like, oh, this is this is what he was talking about in the book. This is the greatest demonstration of demonic power ever. Oh, I mean, uh, you know, <laughs> but again, this is how things get interpreted um, that way. So, okay, so continuing further here, uh, 1850s to the 1860s, Phoebe Palmer, a holiness speaker... And um, where holiness movement refers to a sect of beliefs and practices emerging from 19th century Methodism to a number of evangelical Christian denominations who emphasize those beliefs as central doctrine. And the, the movement is distinguished by its emphasis on John Wesley's Christian perfection teaching, the belief that it is possible to live free of voluntary sin, and particularly by the belief that this may be accomplished instantaneously through a second work of grace. So, you know... If we say we have no sin, we, we lie, and the truth is not in us, is what the Bible says. And G, and um, Paul said, Oh, what a wretch of a man that I am, who should deliver me from the body of this death, the things that I shouldn't do, that I do, and the things that I should do, that I don't do. Um, we don't sin that grace may be abound, and, you know, we don't strive to sin, we strive for perfection, but I mean, you know, come on, you know, living free of sin or whatever, and then this thing, the second work of grace, again, this is what happens when you know, the devil gets involved, gets into a person's head, and, and they basically start thinking that, you know, this is something that I've come up with, I'm going to, you know, 
teach this, and they go, they propagate, they start their own little denomination, whatever. And this is why we have, I believe, thousands of denominations, if you actually look at them all. I mean, there are thousands of pseudo-Christian denominations. So Phoebe Palmer, a holiness speaker and publisher, wrote mission letters in her popular magazine, Guide to Holiness, and um, <clears throat> that spoke in terms of a new Pentecost and a spirit at the work in her era. Palmer is responsible for much of the theology and language that became the common marks of the holiness and the Pentecostal churches. <laughs> and you look at all the unholy behavior going on in the Pentecostal churches. You know, yet they say it's holy because, you know, it, it's insane. I mean, we just looked at a lot of the a lot of what goes on there. I mean, what started at Azusa Street, and that's commonplace. It's even worse now. So, it's so ironic to emphasize that in when it's actually moving in the exact opposite direction. Um, again. Here's a woman who's a speaker speaking, I'm sure, to both men and women, publishing book, both men and women read, and she's basically acting in the role of a pastor, which there's no Bible for that whatsoever, and we're going to get into that, and I'm um, not, you know, um, I mean, she was she was doing meetings, and this guy named Charles Cullis came to a Phoebe Palmer Tuesday meeting in New York in a major personal distress and came to faith there. And so he got into the holiness movement because of this unbiblical woman teaching this doctrine and then he went and and did um, propagated this as well. You know. Going further, 1870, Elena Garena, another uh, woman, a European Catholic educator of young women, popularized a discipline practice called the New Canicelli, or Upper Room. Throughout Mediterranean Catholicism, in it, in it, the days between Ascension and Pentecost are spent in prayer, meditation, and devotion to prepare for the coming gifts of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. Like they went, I guess, you know, to the Upper Room to wait on the Holy Spirit for Pentecost. Well, this is the same thing. Sounds all great. Prayer, meditation, devotion. The only problem is she's a Catholic. And they're emphasizing, you know, I'm sure that the gift of tongues was was a real big one that they were probably wanting to emphasize because that's what the main thing that was manifest on the real Pentecost. Just as Christ's followers did in their upper room after he ascended, the key disciple of Grana's approach was a nine-day prayer ritual or novena. She had a broad view of those gifts, what those gifts were, and held that the Spirit had great gifts for the common believers of her day. She received the attention and support of Pope Leo VIII for her activities. Oh good, well, she's got Satan's seal of approval there. Now, I've done teaching, what women can do for the Lord, part one and part two, plus a PDF. It's, just try to go through what the Bible says about it. I'll just give you a, a brief glimpse. Uh, in the study, we were primary primary be looking at what women can do for the Lord, women pastors, the biblical qualifications for pastors, elders, deacons, spiritual overseers. We will be taking an in-depth look at the most common arguments used to authorize women having biblical offices that only men are supposed to hold. That being of Deborah and Judges and the daughters and handmaidens who prophesied in Acts 2.17 and 18, and the daughters of Philip, Acts 21.8 and 9. There are two errors among Christians in regard to the women's ministry. 
Number one, some teach women can do anything, which is not scriptural. Two, others teach that uh, women can do almost nothing, which is also not scriptural. Godly women have a large role in the work of God. Though they have limitations, there are some restrictions on their work. These are restrictions given by the word of God. And in this study, we will endeavoring, we will be endeavoring to present these with the rationale behind why these restrictions have been given by the Lord. Now, there's like, I, I, there's a huge trend, and, and it's been getting more and bigger, where, you know, you see women at the head of their own ministries. It's just so commonplace. There's no headship whatsoever. Okay, they're out of line from the standpoint, they are teaching both men and women. You cannot be on the internet and not be teaching both, unless you say this is only for women. But even then, I don't see any Bible for a woman going up there and acting as a pastor for a group of women. Okay, I understand it talks about the older women teaching the younger women this type of stuff, you know, uh, biblical principles, but we're talking about teaching like Bible teachers, teaching doctrine like they're their pastors. And this is exactly what is going on. These women um, typically are very, they have a very, to me, domineering type of spirit that I see over them. What they're doing is unbiblical. And, I mean, I just went up today, and on, before it's news, it's one of the, the worst places for this. Uh, it, without a doubt, it is one of the worst places I have ever seen uh, for this type of behavior going on. And, I mean, uh, this one lady, and I had a, I had a long-time listener there to email me about this evangelist, Anita Fuentes, and... Um, about her. And she said, well, what do you think? And I said, well, I said, I don't think what she's doing biblical. She's teaching about men and women. Um, she, uh, you know, this and that. And she's like, well, I don't care because she's basically, uh, I'm going to follow her because um, she's teaching me and I'm a woman. Okay. She's acting as your pastor, essentially. I mean, the woman, when you see her speak, she's got all of her degrees behind her from the, the cemetery she went through. She's got to make sure everybody knows that. She, she comes off to me as very, very almost like, you know, uh, domineering, haughty. Like, here's, here's the way it is. Don't tell me she's not acting in regard as a pastor. I've heard what she said. She, re- she preaches out of a false Bible. She's got all of her cemetery degrees behind her to, to make everybody know that you know she knows what she's talking about. And so much of her ministry is based off dreams. Dreams of her listeners, dreams and prophecies and stuff of this nature, which also has a very charismatic bent. And again, um, one of the biggest things I've seen that's false in the modern day charismatic uh, Pentecostal movement is basing everything off dreams and, and um, prophecies in the Bible, the Bible talks about the false prophets that we, we even quoted those verses earlier. That the prophets prophesy falsely, and the, and the priests bear rule by their means. That my people love to have it so. That's the absolute hallmark of the Pentecostal charismatic movement. People want a new prophecy. They want, you know what? If all these prophecies aren't being, coming to pass, and if they're not lining up with the Bible, then they're not of God. If a prophecy is supposed to happen at a certain date and it doesn't happen, then they didn't hear from God. In the Old Testament, that was a death sentence. But now, ah, you know, whatever. It's no big deal, you know. And since this woman is exposing things like, 
you know, the New World Order and um, this 2014 Satanic Grammy Awards and stuff like that. Well, she must be good. She must be, you know, um, wonderful. And, and she's exposed in the 700 Club and these types of things. So she must be fine. You know, well, I don't believe what she's doing is biblical because the Bible has very specific parameters of what women can do for the Lord. And it's not my fault that it says it, and I'm not being a chauvinist, I'm just giving you the Bible verses of what it says. And so, there's other ones up there on um, uh, Before It's News. I'm going to let this short video play just a little bit, where this is another woman that has come to this conclusion as well about this evangelist, um, Anita Fuentes days ago in regards to the lightning striking the Vatican at St. Peter's Square, and I came across a, quote, evangelist by the name of Anita Fuentes, okay? Um, she calls herself an evangelist, which an evangelist simply spreads the good news, okay? She doesn't hold the title of pastor, preacher, whatever. However, she claims... And she's doing way more than being an evangelist, okay? She's way more than that. She's, she's acting in many roles as a pastor. Herself to be on an equal level to Mary and Deborah, okay? Um, <laughs> she's very arrogant in her presentation in regards to that. Um, however, she also admits based on her public information on her websites, that she, according to her own information, was involved in drugs, drank a lot of hard alcohol, had several abortions, was sexually promiscuous throughout 19 and her early 20s, was a stripper involved in witchcraft and idolatry, um, which she still most definitely is, in my opinion, and I will get to that throughout this series. It's probably going to be, I'm guessing, ten clips long. Um, all of the information will, of course, be taken from her public website information. Um, she claims to be a member of the 501c3 organization, and I'm going to go ahead and just list a couple of other uh, organizations who are also um, 501c3s, okay? So, let's start off with the First Church of Satan, Planned Parenthood, Gay and Lesbian Advocates. Okay, and again, this is another reason that I don't even get into a lot about the 501c3, but when you are this, you are, the all these churches she's listing here are going to be on that United Nations One World Religion train. You're going to be, you're writing it with them now, if you're 501c3. I think that's the point she's trying to make here. So, she goes, I guess, on and on. I will, I will provide a link to this, because obviously I do not have time to play this this whole thing. I'm running out of time here on this teaching, but hopefully you can see there's huge problems here. When any of us, man, woman, child, when we do something contrary to the word of God, 
We're going to get off track. And every time I see a woman at the head of her own ministry, okay, preaching and teaching to men, okay, which is invariably going to happen on the internet especially, it always turns out to be an unmitigated disaster. I've seen it over and over and over again. It may not happen in the first three months, or the first six, but eventually it will happen. And typically what I see happen is that pride wells up, because they're opened up to pride, because they're doing something they should not be doing, and devils come in, and they get deluded, and they get deceived if they weren't already, and they start going down the wrong path, and essentially they start building their own little following and you can't tell them nothing because they got it all figured out. And don't tell me God didn't call me to do this because I know how I feel. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me one night or several speaks to me all the time and tells me I'm doing a great job. Well, if you think the Holy Spirit's speaking to you and you're doing something contrary to Scripture, you're hearing from the devil. So, I will provide a link to this. And um, if you want to explore that for, I just don't have time to get into a dedicated study on, um, I'll put it right underneath, the. there's going to be a green section where I talk about um, this the teaching that I did on what women can do for the Lord. And I'm going to say, I'm going to, I'm posting it right now and I'll just put Anita Fuentes um, exposed or whatever there. And then you can go and avail yourself of that information. So here's a woman that's identifying this. You know, so you can't say it's because she's a chauvinist. <laughs> she's just understanding there's there's some really unbiblical stuff. It's a very arrogant, haughty attitude that typically will tend to creep over most of these women preachers. Okay? And I've seen that happen over and over and over again. I don't believe it's possible for them to maintain humility. If they do, it's a false humility. You know? Um, it's like clockwork. You know? And I'm just saying, I've been in the ministry now for, I've been doing this for a long time, and I've seen it just over and over again. So, um, I'm going to post that link now. So, there's other, there is a, a lot of women up on Before It's News that are now literally starting to take over all of the headlines that's on Before It's News. Now, with Before It's News, you have to be careful. There's a lot of garbage. Some of it's, though, not garbage, and you can glean from it, and it's verifiable stuff. Okay, you got to be careful if you're up there. But, I mean, you know, this lady, Susan Duclos, who's really not one of the, the worst ones, but she was the one, she was one of the ones um, uh, promoting. She was the one promoting this evangelist, Anita Fuentes, and it's her, her newest one is Russian Invasion and Time Dreams Martial Law... Martial Law, New World Order, Evangelist Anita Fuentes. You know, and again, she is acting as a spiritual head, an authority on the internet now that both men, women, and everyone else are going to, to get truth. What is her ministry um, based on? Well, here it says, Profound Evangelist Anita Fuentes show, aired Friday. Um... Current events including, but not limited to martial law, New World Order, but specifically end-time dreams of her readers. Oh, like we can verify who any of these people are. She's going over dreams? Are you kidding me? 
from people she doesn't even know? That's biblical. I really see a lot of Bible for that. Starting at the 1330 mark, a few choice emails and letters are read aloud. Described as powerful dreams that people are having in the final hour. Specific ones about Russians invading, which we have heard time and time again from those. I've reported on that. Okay? But does that mean all of these dreams are accurate? We don't even know what the sources are on any of these. So why don't go into that kind of stuff? There's no way you can verify it. You know, it would be one thing if it was a person who was a true biblical prophet that had never failed ever. Okay? Fine. We don't even know these people, though. Okay? And I'm not saying that's not going to happen, but again, this is why how people get hooked into this. You know? And, you know, here, there's a picture of her here. So she's being promoted by, by this particular lady. Okay, so I'm going to let you hear a clip of this, this evangelist for just a little bit. And, 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 you know, you tell him if she's not acting in the role of a pastor, you know, or a bishop or a spiritual overseer. And, and, <laughs> So she's acting as an end-time type of prophetic watchman. Prophecies, dreams, she's supposedly an evangelist, and she's acting in the role of a spiritual overseer slash pastor. She's pretty much doing it, pretty much everything that I could see on there, and this is her end-time show. Breaking news with evangelist Anita Fuentes. Before we start on this evening's broadcast, I have to make a financial plea. You heard me correctly. A financial plea concerning the ongoing work of this urgent end-time ministry. Isn't that amazing? That's what she's got to do first, is make a financial plea. Because evidently her YouTube might get shut down. Listen, it doesn't cost money to put videos up on YouTube, or, or it costs very, very little to even maintain your own website if you do it right. I mean, if you want to advertise and do other things or whatever. But notice that's the first thing that comes out of her her mouth. You know, my friends, it's only by the grace of our God, and along with your continued prayers, financial support, and love, that these broadcasts... She's reading this off a, a screen. You can tell she, she looks up and then she looks down. She's reading this off like some type of... of uh, on her computer. She must have typed this out. So it's really coming from the heart. Continue to go strong and unrelenting. And we need for it to go unrelenting, continually cons- you know, consistent in this final hour. And it's only going to happen through your money in this this financial plea of whatever. And we cannot afford to push back on anything, anything concerning the things of God, concerning the things of the kingdom, nor should we ever cower in this final hour. And we mu- don't, don't cower by not sending all your money, is what she's saying. We must press forward. We must press on toward the mark for the prize. You need to press your wallet, like, like just, just squeeze every dime out of it. To keep this ministry a-rolling. The high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And we must strengthen one another anywhere we are weak. Amen? Oh, through money. louder, bolder, and more courageous as we obey the commission to preach the gospel of the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
And I love how she commingles scripture in with this plea for money and all of these things. Almost in a subtle browbeating way. We can't shriek back. We've got to push, make it, it's all about you sending money. Essentially, because that's the first thing that came out of her mouth. Financial support is crucial in making this happen. So would you just take a moment right now and please donate at www.emof.org. That is www.emoaf.org. Or you can mail in your donation to Evangelist Anita Fuentes, P.O. Box. I don't even want to go any further. I, I don't need to hear any more. I didn't even know that was on there. I wasn't even planning on playing that. Okay? But this is the kind of garbage that that is being propagated right out of the gate. This is what she said. Well, so much for the prophetic... Oh, no, you don't get the prophetic dreams and all that other stuff. You don't get the goodies until I make my plea and my spiel for money. Which is typical charismatic Pentecostal garbage. I'm not even saying she's of that ilk. I don't know. But th- this is what passes for, um, you know... A ministry nowadays. This kind of garbage. I'm, I'm running out of time. I mean, I, on this teaching, but it's like I, I really felt compelled. And then, then there's the uh, this lady's even just about worse. Lynn Lee is. Lynn Leas, okay? Every time this woman posts a study, increasingly, it's more sensational. It's more headline grabbing it's more and she's literally up there doing whole basically sermons preaching just like this evangelist anita fuentes doing the same thing here's her her latest thing conclusive earth-shaking evidence in egypt found lost ancient high technology before the pharaohs tools hieroglyphs stone boxes temples and more i have seen the most outrageous headlines and i will start reading and realize she just baited me in and she's lying She's, she's not giving me the full truth, or she's just trying to grab headlines so she can be... And it's like every other day, the first, the, the first time she posted a picture of herself, it was like she was in this black sweater, she had her arms crossed front, she's just, and looking at the camera like she's all ticked off. Like, who do you think you are? I'm better than any man. I wear the pants. I mean, I'm serious, that's what it reminded me of, okay? And then she started changing her pictures, where they were more like, like, um... Uh, a little more submissive and, and feminine looking. And now she has gotten to the point where her latest profile picture, I, I showed my daughter and Taylor said, basically that looked like something, but what you can see, it looks like something that would be on the cover of a pornography video. The way she is posed. If you look at this picture, you will not believe it. I can't, she's literally like laying down with her head propped up under her arm. She's got like gobs of lipstick on, big old earrings, her hair's all teased up, and she's got this real seductive look looking into the, looking into the camera. This isn't going to be up there very long, this picture. I can't even believe. But see, the longer these women keep doing unbiblical things in a in a in a position and I know the men are so most of the men are so sorry where they should be up there maybe doing the watchman the pastor should be being watchman you know that these women say well the men are so sorry I'm going to go ahead and no that doesn't mean you do something unbiblical just because maybe the men aren't doing their job I'm not giving the men a break either but it's like this picture I can't even hardly stand to look at it this is what's just norm. The norm now. And you click on her, her contributor profile, and 
When conspiracy becomes reality, I expose evil to show the world that Jesus Christ is coming soon. Repent. And she's got this, this literally pornographic looking picture next to her. Like literally next to this paragraph. Visit the Lynn and Lisa War on Hell radio show. It literally has Lynn Lias in the back of this other woman hosting their own basically like Bible study end time current event radio show and they've got both guns and they're aiming at this demon that's, that's like in hell supposedly like they're going to blow him away. It's the Lynn and Lisa War on Hell radio show. And their website vineoflifenews.com I am a Christian author using my gift of writing to glorify Jesus Christ. Wow. Please check out my book, Soul Deceiver. It's in a three-part series, Eternal Soul Series, available through Thomas Nelson Publishing. Oh, really? Yeah. It's a fictional book about, like, the Antichrist and stuff. We don't need fiction. You know? We need the Word of God. We don't need another book out there. Half the reason that, that people get so messed up because they read too many books written by men and women that don't have a biblical worldview or don't really care about what the Bible says and they just make stuff up as they go. And it becomes doctrinal to some people. But you go, I mean, it's just unbelievable. And it's getting worse. I thought maybe, oh, maybe it'll calm down on before. No, it's getting worse. It's getting worse. And then there's another lady up here, Lisa Haven, who was yoked up with this Linlias, I just found out. They've got, they, they operate out of the same website. Of course, if you go to the website, I don't even know if you can find that out. I found it out by accident when I read her thing. Um, and she's also vineoflifenews.com. I don't think she's as bad, but I mean, She's pretty bad, though, I mean, with, as far as the sensationalistic stories. It, Lin Lias, there's really nobody that's worse on Before It's News. But I just see, and, and again, all of these women basically up there doing their own audience, doing their own Bible studies, you know, Lin Lias and her buddy doing the war on hell, whatever. Like, these women are basically acting like, bless God, we're going to go and, you know, do all these things and act like a pastor and do this and that and... It's like, you weren't called to that. I'm sorry. You weren't, you might be called to be a prayer warrior. You might be called to be on your knees praying and you might be called to ministering, okay, to, um, maybe your close circle of, of friends and things of this nature that are other women, but you're not called to preach up there on the internet where men and women are following you and following your doctrine and to put out all these sensationalistic headlines and, and all of these pleas for money. It's ridiculous. And, you know, I'm sure I'll lose a lot of listeners for saying this stuff, but, you know, am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? I pray that if I'm wrong about this, that God strike me dead tonight. I mean that. I mean it. I say it before God. I say it before. So if you don't ever hear from me again, you'll know that I was wrong, and these women in these ministries that are operating... Um, without, as far as I can see, any spiritual headship. If they are, their, their head is pathetic because they're not biblically doing, I mean, what they say they're called to do, they're not biblically doing that. They should not be, and again, my teaching gets into the whole thing on what women can do for the Lord. So if you don't hear from me again, you'll know they were right and I was wrong. 
You know, and I said that before, Father God, the Lord Jesus Christ, all my listeners. If what I'm saying that's it's wrong about this Pentecostal movement, it's truly of God, you know, and I'm just wrong, I'm, I, I've got it all wrong, it really is of God, again, let him strike me dead tonight. Because I don't want to deceive other people. I do not want to lead them astray. I'm responsible for that when I stand before God. I'm responsible for leading people astray. And this is what people don't understand. Like these women that are doing this, like these pastors in the Pentecostal movement, like false wolves in sheep's clothing, they are going to have to give an account, whether it's at the great white throne judgment or if they were to possibly make it to the judgment seat of Christ as a saved Christian, they're going to have to give an account for what they've done. And when you're in, to whom much is given, much is required. When you're in a position, especially in today's day and age, where we can reach millions of people through these messages, you have to be really careful what you're saying and what you're doing that you're not leading people astray. And I just see it all around me. Other people that are unqualified for ministry or novices leading people astray. And I don't even call myself a pastor. I just call myself a watchman. I don't call myself a pastor or a evangelist or a whatever. Bishop, elder, spiritual. I, 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 no, I don't call myself that. I call myself a watchman. And I do not point people to myself or some book or to some author or to some ministry or to some denomination. Not to say I've never pointed to a ministry if they're good at a certain thing. I'm not saying that. I try to point people to the Lord Jesus Christ and the Word of God, the King James Bible in the English-speaking language. Because I know I'm not giving them the wrong advice there. So, anyway, I just had to say that. Because I am just sick of getting up on websites like that. And it's just rampant. It's like these women, these these women that are now taking over the end time watchman role, literally taking over. And then seeing... Other men in other ministries pointing people to them saying, Yeah, you need to You need to go listen to them. They're they're on they're on track. They're the ones that no. No, I've seen so much leaven in what they put out. And I'm not saying I never get anything wrong. I'm not saying I've never had news stories I didn't have to retract. But I'm talking about consistently over and over again. Attention getting headlines. Look at me. I want to be popular. I want to be unbiblical and do something that God never called me to do. It's it's the absolute norm. Totally almost out of time. Key figure for the holiness movement among African Americans at this time was Amanda Berry. Smith, she preached in the U.S., England, and Africa, spreading a Palmer-flavored Methodism. Again, here's another woman preaching in this holiness movement among, um, in the um, 1800s primarily, spreading false doctrine. In the 1880s and in the 1890s were scattered rumors of xenoglossia, which is speaking of unknown, of known languages, that are unknown to the speaker at various revival meetings in the southern U.S. in one or two incidents where they may have even crossed over into glossolalia, which is a static speech, which would be like gibberish. It seems as if no one knew what to make of them, and the incidents remained scattered, going no further. And when it happened, it involved some very shady characters, people that were speaking in this gibberish tongues. 
Thus, it was discredited in the eyes of most believing Christians. Yet, there were several holiness leaders who had openly expected such a sign, such a speech as a sign from God that a full-scale revival was about to sweep the land, when the very opposite was true. Well, what, like the Laodicean church era? Yeah, well, guess what? We just had that revised version of 1881 come out from Westcott and Hort. The corrupt Bible that spawned all the other ones that we've got nowadays. That just happened. Jehovah Witnesses were getting cranked up. The Mormons were getting cranked up. The Seventh-day Adventists were getting cranked up. We had this garbage going on. I think that this was the modern-day start of the Laodicean church era was around the 1880s. I think that's when it really started getting into, into swing. And they were wondering why speak... Uh, Okay, so let me just read that last sentence again. Holiness leaders who had openly expected such a speech as a sign from God that a full-scale revival was about to sweep the land from God, that that, that full-scale revival was about wondering aloud why people were not speaking in unhindered tongues as they did in the days of the early church. They were wondering this. Also, there was an explosion of books about the Holy Spirit. Oh, again, here we get to books. Unbiblical interpretations, typically, of what they think the Holy Spirit should be doing. Most of these books were very, poor, very poorly thought out and at our best forgotten, but nearly all of them talked the kind of talk we would think about today as Pentecostal. So they, they, all these people were waiting for this because they thought it was going to be this full-scale revival about to sweep the land. 1895, Benjamin Irwin, a former lawyer and Baptist convert to the holiness theology, had an experience of the baptism of fire. He then formed the fire-baptized holiness church. From that experience, he created a system of spiritual baptisms, each of which he gave a name, like Lydite. He also created the idea of a third blessing after separate blessings of salvation and sanctification. His life spun out of control from that time on. Again, look at the fruit. Okay, And in 1900, Irwin had to publicly confess his sins and step aside from church leadership. Somewhere in this time, Maria Woodworth Eder started to have her own tent revival meetings in Illinois, claiming that people spoke in, un, in known tongues and were healed. It's said that she was not known for being gracious nor for being considerate of her host church's values and beliefs. So she was haughty, like most women that get in the ministry like her are. They're out of order. There are some place that God never called them, so obviously they're going to let pride, pride's going to come in every single time. They're unbiblical in what they're doing. And here's a picture of, of Maria Woodworth Eder. And she just looks totally haughty to me. Totally out of place. Acting as a pastor. Putting on her own, which is exactly what we're talking about here. Okay? Being slain in the spirit was one of the ordinary signs in Maria Woodworth Eder who lived from 1844 to 1924, the trance evangelist, so there was trances involved. Her ministry manifestations began in 1885, 21 years before the Azusa revival ever started. She received a spiritual renewal at a friend's meeting in 1879. Here is a woman who received some type of spiritual power from a Quaker meeting. That's why they call them Quakers, because they quake. Okay? Keep in mind that the Society of Friends, the Quakers, were originally a non-Christian group. Again, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? By their fruits, you shall know them. Okay? 
But many people unknowingly lump the Quakers in with real Christian groups. Maria would go on into trances. People came to her while she was in a trance state and allegedly got saved. Oh, because she was in a demonically inspired trance. Neat. She would lay hands on people and place them in a similar trance state. Yeah, again, where's the Bible for that at all? So see, this was all building toward Azusa Street. Then, 1899, holiness preachers most especially linked the reappearance of manifestations like those we now call slain in the spirit with Christ's arrival within their lifetime. Which didn't happen, obviously. This would set the stage for describing the Azusa revival at the start of the latter reign, the big burst of wonders and signs of power that was said to be unleashed unto the believers to prepare the way for Jesus' return. December of 1900, traveling holiness preacher Charles Parham is having a year-end series of revival meetings in Topeka, Kansas, when one of the women there, Methodist Agnes Oseman, spoke in existing languages, but she did not know. The effect of those present was to understate the case blazing. From then on, a steady stream of tongue-speaking flowed from Parham's work. Parham and his students began to teach others about this. In Parham's travels, he met many of the hottest and weirdest holiness preachers, such as Alexander Dowie, a faith healer from Chicago area, and Ben Irwin. These hot preachers made him gag. With few exceptions, they did the sins they most preached against, and they did them in a want and cynical way. 1905, one of Parham's students, Lucy Farrow, paved the way for Parham to teach some courses in Houston, Texas. One of those she met was William Seymour, a black man who was apparently about to become a minister in the Church of God. Um, according to the segregation law and the landlord and enforced by Parham, Seymour had to sit in the hallway instead of a classroom because he was African American. Well, that's garbage, okay? But However, I mean, that's just wrong to do that, obviously. However, he must have learned his lessons well since he would be pastoring a ministry whose effects and heresies are being felt all over the world today and moreover now through the spawning of the modern-day Pentecostal charismatic movement. Obviously, he was the one that was at Azusa Street, Charles William Seymour. So I gave you a brief history of what got us from there to now, Essentially, okay, because I've kind of covered a little bit of everything in between, but the, everything's in this particular thing. Um, I've got hardly any time left, so I'm going to try to get in a quick prayer before we end here. Uh, Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day, this time you've given us. I pray, God, you bless my listeners, Lord, wherever your truth or your word is being preached worldwide, Lord. I also pray, God, that you expose the charlatans in this earth, God, that you expose the false preachers and teachers and these and, and Lord God, that your name would be glorified by doing this and that great fear would fall upon the body of Christ as a result of what you would do in order to try to purify the body of Christ. I do pray you forgive us for any sins that we have committed as we forgive those who have sinned, sinned against us, that you cleanse us from presumptuous sins and secret faults that they would not have dominion over us and that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart would be acceptable and pleasing in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. We ask all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.